welcome to episode 111 of the Daniel Yoris Podcast, Spring Q&A. Let's go. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for being here. I appreciate you as always. Thank you to everyone who submitted questions for this episode. I, I really enjoy uh, doing these Q&A episodes. Uh, I think they're fun. I think they're a good way to, to connect and to get some more context and to really feed off of or feed into the things that are actually troubling you. And so I'll keep a note of you know questions that come up or, or when I do the Q&A box thing on, uh, on Instagram and collect those questions. I am not going to pretend that this episode is going to be short. I tend to uh, <laughs> to try and do that. And by try, I mean, I very loosely try to do that uh, every solo episode and it ends up being not that short, but I've actually got a, not a small amount of questions today. And so uh, I'm not going to try and rush through this and not going to try and pretend it's short. I mean, by now listening, you already know how long this episode is. You can see at the bottom, I don't know how long it's going to be because I'm just talking. So with that being said, um, I've been working with a little bit of a new setup, trying to get this thing more consistent for the video uh, aspect of the podcast. The audio has been has been great. I know I, I go into these like little pod, podcast insight tangents at the beginning of these ones, but um, I do have something somewhat relevant. And, and this is like, it seems, it probably doesn't matter and probably actually you'll never notice or know any different. But to me, analyzing every single aspect every single aspect of this podcast that makes it makes a difference to me. So if you're watching the video or, or if you're if you're just listening to the audio, go watch the video of this for like only a couple minutes in so we'll be right at the beginning. But you'll see in the background what I've done is like I turn the lights off in my room. I have like lights in front of me, lights in the back to try and give that YouTube kind of look. Um, but I'm I'm not sold on on the coloring of this because everything makes it look blue in the background there. Although it's kind of cool, this is the other option that I have and this is the the white. So Whatever. I, I'm, I'm not sure that either is better. Again, I'm not sure that it matters. Maybe I'll flip-flop them uh, during this episode because then if I make clips for Instagram, then it looks like it's different episodes even though it's the same. I don't know. But let me know if you like this better, one better or the or the blue, white or blue, this one being white and this one. Let's get it. Blue. This one being blue. Um, if you can do that for me, that would be uh, massively appreciated. But anyways, enough blabbering on. Hope you're doing well. Let's get into this one. Again, thank you for all the questions. Always uh, keep them coming. Don't wait for me to ask for them. Just send them anytime and uh, and I'll get to them when I, when I get to them. First question, I have joint pain. Should I take collagen? So obviously there's a, a lot that could be contributing to joint pain. My initial reaction is that the chances that you have a collagen deficiency and that is the main cause of your joint pain are very low. If you have joint pain due to like a traumatic injury, you fell or hit yourself on something or tripped over something, then the collagen is not going to, going to fix that. It may it may help, but that's not the, the root cause of your joint pain. So you've got to figure out, one, which joints are hurting, how long have they been hurting, why have they been hurting, and then start to try and figure out how to actually repair that joint's structural function. Now, that's a lot of big words, and that's why you go see a physiotherapist or a chiropractor or athletic therapist or whoever to, to get these things done for you. If you have pain, if you have an injury, go see somebody qualified. Stop trying to monkey around and figure it out for yourself. You're just going to make the process take way longer to heal and probably not do as good of a job. So first things first, go see someone who's qualified to get that done. Second, 
collagen is a fine thing to take. There's absolutely nothing wrong with taking collagen. It's probably good for, for most people to take. It's just not going to be the thing that moves the needle the most, most likely, unless you have a severe collagen deficiency. If you're younger, you almost certainly don't have this if your diet is even remotely good. So I, it wouldn't be the first thing that I turn to taking collagen for joint pain, but again, not doing any harm. I would just do a little bit more research or investigation into whatever injury or injuries you have if to, to, to start to, to start to heal them. Supplements are great and they can help in the process, of course, but it's probably not the thing that's going to, that's going to really fix it. Got, got to go see someone who's qualified and then get to, you know, mobilizing that joint to get the inflammation out, work through the ranges of motion, expand those ranges of motion, strengthen it, all that kind of good stuff. Quick one, getting warmed up here. Question number two, I can't deadlift or hip thrust. Oh, this was a really good one. I can't deadlift or hip thrust 135 pounds. So how do I do this when the plates are too small? My gym has no bumper plates. So just to give a little bit of context in case this question doesn't make sense to anyone, 135 pounds in the gym is when you have the barbell plus the two 45 pound weights on each side, or if you're in kilos, the 20 kilo uh, weights on each side. Now, bumper plates are those plates that are typically, uh, they're always rubber and all of the plates, regardless of how much they weigh are the same circumference or the same, the same, the same circumference. So that when the bar is sitting on the ground, it's always the same distance or the same height off the floor versus if you have the regular like metal or iron plates, you know, the five pound plate is very small and the 45 pound plate is very large. So the bar would be sitting at a different height. Now, if your if your gym doesn't have those bumper plates, and and you're deadlifting or doing hip thrusts, you start with the bar on the ground and then you lift it up from there. With deadlifts, you could just do it off the floor if you're putting the fives or the tens or the twenty fives on. You could just do it off the floor. You'll have to bend a little bit further down, but it's not that big of a deal. Um, but for deadlifts, what you and then for hip thrusts, it's a little bit more. It's a let me just I mix myself up there. <clears throat> for deadlifts. You could just do it off the floor, but you could also do what I'm going to say for hip thrust. For hip thrust, it's a little bit more problematic because when you're trying to like roll the bar on top of you to get underneath it to to start from the bottom, you can't actually fit underneath the bar because there's not enough height. So what I would suggest is the following. You can get a couple of other plates. It doesn't matter like how, how heavy they are and just put them on the ground or those little like plyometric kind of yoga stepper things and you can sit the bar on top of that so that it gives it a little bit of height off the ground. It, if you were thinking about this in deadlifting, it would be almost like a rack pull, but essentially you're just sitting the plates of the bar on the edges on one of those little stepper things or on another set of plates just to prop it off the ground. That way you're starting at roughly the same height or at least in the hip thrust, you create enough space that you can get underneath it to lift it up because the bar is not touching the ground on every rep. In a deadlift, you are going back all the way to the ground, so you want to try and keep the height of it consistent. So that would be probably the best way to go about it, but this is a very legit question, a very real question, one of these like gym questions that sometimes gym people don't really consider because, you know, after you've been going, you'll realize you can deadlift that, that much weight and, and it becomes fine. And it's not a thing that you consider, but understanding how to play with the equipment and, and adjust the equipment in the gym is important. It's hard to describe this, what I'm saying in words versus just showing it in a, in a video or showing you in the gym. So definitely feel free to ask someone. And this is another caveat to to this question as an extension of this question, but 
over the past couple months, being at the, the beginning of the year, I've spoken to several people and had this kind of same conversation where they have just been getting into the gym and getting more comfortable and whatever. And they're, you know, they're not sure how to use a piece of equipment at their gym, how to adjust the back rest or how to adjust the inclination of the seat or, you know, someone's using their machine or whatever. If you're a beginner in the gym, it is 100% absolutely okay to ask people for help and to ask people how to use a, a piece of equipment and especially to ask people to work in and share a piece of equipment where, you know, you do your set, then you get off, you rest, they do their set, and then you get off and rest and you switch and just do that. This is normal gym culture. It is a normal thing. People who say no are, are typically rude. Like 99% of the people are going to say yes, that it's fine for you to work in and work together and they'll help you. And here, here's the other side of it. This is kind of like that spotlight effect where we think that everyone is looking at us and everyone is always judging us, but it it works for everyone. Everyone is worried about other people looking at them, but everyone thinks the same. So really everyone just worries about themselves. Now, how this works in, in the context of asking for help is this. You're new to the gym. You don't really know your way around. You're not sure how to use the equipment. So you feel nervous about asking someone to, uh, you're, you feel nervous about asking someone how to use a piece of equipment, thinking that they're going to think that you're silly or you know whatever for not knowing how to do it. But what's actually happening in the other person's brain is this. Especially, especially if it's a guy that you're asking, and especially if it's a guy who like looks a little bit more uh, bigger, like he's been in the gym for a while. Instead of thinking that, wow, look at this person, they don't know what they're doing. What that guy is going to think is, wow, look at me. I look so jacked. I'm so big. I'm such a big gym guy that they're asking me for help. Like, look how good I am. You just feed their ego by doing that. And that's, and that's cool. So they're not going to look down on you by, for, for you asking help on how to use a piece of equipment, they're actually going to, you're actually going to pump them up and they're going to be happy to help you and happy to impart to their knowledge and their gym wisdom on you. So all that to say is don't be afraid to ask people for help, the gym attendants, uh, the trainers in the gym, or, or just other people around there. People are more than happy to help you. You'll, you'll of course run into some people who are not happy to help and that is few and far between, but that's just human nature. But the overwhelming majority of people are going to be happy to help. Um, and that's it. But to get back to the question about if you have to get the plates off the ground, stack some other plates underneath the edges or use those yoga uh, steppers or the uh, plyometric stepper boxes, the short ones that you can kind of stack up the pieces. Use a couple of those to get the, bo- the bar to the right height. And then as you get stronger, you'll be able to get those 45 pound plates on, which equals up to one, 135. And then you won't have this, uh, this height issue anymore. But until you get there, feel free to stack up those plates. And again, totally normal gym thing. Question number three, this is a a two-part question, and this one's a little bit more in-depth. So the question actually came in as how to break through a plateau, and uh, in in speaking to this person, there were were two avenues to go around it. Obviously, that's quite a general question, but that could require hours of conversation (laughs) in itself, but I'm going to break this up into two, two, two aspects, how to break through a plateau in the gym as far as like your strength training and how to break through a plateau in weight loss. They're related, but they're not the same thing. So how to break through a plateau in the gym. Now there are, this is almost the entirety of what the gym is about. You start at a point and then you got to break through that and break through that and break through that and break through that. If you're an intermediate, if you're a beginner lifter and like within even a year of lifting, like you're not, you're unlikely to have true plateaus and 
if anything, the plateau is mostly caused by a lack of good form. You're not doing something, there's something about the exercise that you're doing incorrectly. And it may not be like egregiously incorrectly, but it may just be slightly incorrectly or incorrect enough that it's causing you to not be able to progress on it. So number one thing, and especially if you're a newer lifter or exerciser is like really dial in your form, ask someone for help again, at lead on me, ask me for help, whatever it is, ask someone for help, get your form dialed. And that will most likely help whatever you're doing. And that will help at all stages. You can always continue to refine it, but especially more important if you're a beginner. Now, if you're a little bit more intermediate, your farmer's pretty good. You've been, you know, you're doing your workouts and there's a certain lift that you keep getting stuck on that you can't progress past a certain weight. Let's just use a hundred pounds for the sake of, uh, of conversation. And it's an easy number for me to remember as I continue to refer back to it. Seriously, you've been lifting, you know, you're 80, 90, 95, 100, 100, 100, 100. It's been six, eight weeks at 100 pounds of whatever this lift is. Here's how to start to to break through that. One, as long as you are maintaining, you need to differentiate the point. You need to differentiate between whether you're at a plateau where you're maintaining or at a plateau where you're actually regressing, as in you have an injury, um, sleep has been really bad, recovery has been really bad, or these things where where your performance is actually going down. If your performance is actually going down, or if you know that due to the happenings of your life that you're not sleeping well, you're not eating well, you're not... uh, fueling yourself properly and all that stuff. You have an injury. If that's the case, then you got to address that. And that's the thing that is causing your plateau. And that's the first place to look. If, if those things are good, then just move past that. Nothing to address. But if you like do a hard look at yourself and what you're doing, if that is not dialed in, then get that dialed and you'll probably break through your plateau just based on that alone. Assuming that is good and your programming is okay. It's also a good time to look at what your programming has been like. If you've been doing the same thing, the same workout structure, the same exercises, the same rep schemes, all that stuff, it's probably a good time to change that and move either into like a essentially a lower rep program or a higher rep program. You can also add things like pauses, and this is getting a little bit more advanced now, but so assuming, let me, let me just back myself up a little bit. This is what happens when you don't have notes. Thoughts just keep coming through your head and I just have the question and just like spit it out. And also because I'm talking to a screen where I can only see my own reaction instead of like your reaction to get if you're to understand if you're, you know, picking up what I'm putting down and all that stuff. But this is podcasting, baby. Here we go. Now I to explain all that I just forgot what I was about to I lost my total train of thought. Uh, yes. So the more intermediate thing is like, first of all, look at your program. If you've been doing the same thing, the same reps, the same, uh, the same kind of loading scheme, the same sort of exercises like week after week, after week, after week, and it's been a while, probably a good time to just switch that. And either if you've been doing somewhat lower reps, switch to a more volume based program where you're going a little bit more higher reps, or if you've been doing higher rep stuff, just switch the reps, go down to the lower reps and heavier weight and that kind of stuff. So that's like the easiest of the variables to manipulate. Now, as you become more advanced, you can start to add things like pauses and you should really do this by analyzing your lift. And this is where video or someone watching you is a great tool, but think about what part of the lift that you're, it is that you're failing at. So if you're doing squats and you're like, you, you get down to the bottom, but then you can't get up. Or if you are getting you get down to the bottom, get halfway, and then you get stuck or whatever part of the lift it is that you're getting stuck at. That's where you start to want to start to 
focus on. So you're going to make exercise selection choices that target that part of the lift or or and or you're going to add pauses into that part of the lift with maybe even a lighter weight just to get stronger at that position. You're going to slow the eccentric down where you can load heavier weights going down than you can going up um, and some other programming parameters like that. So now this is definitely getting a little bit a little bit more nitty gritty, but I think to kind of start to sum this up a little bit is that you want to look at what is actually going wrong in the exercise that you're trying to progress. One, address that movement deficiency if it's there. And then two, look at all of the programming parameters that you have at your disposal, number of reps, amount of weight, time under tension, amount of rest, uh, exercise selection, exercise order. Maybe you got to switch up the order. You do your squats second instead of first in the exercise, in the workout or, or at the end or at the beginning, whatever it is, do something different. Now this is, as you get more advanced, this becomes more difficult. And this is what, you know, elite powerlifters do for their entire life is like, well, I already squat 773 pounds. How do I get 774? And it's like, they've got to look at all these little tiny parameters and do it. So it's, there is a little bit more than like, just keep grinding and keep going. But at the same time, for those of us who aren't at that professional competitive power lifter level, one, make sure your form is dialed Two, make sure you're outside of the gym things, your food, your recovery, your sleep, all that stuff is good. And then, um, three, start to work on some more advanced program parameters, but overall, of all of this is just be patient, keep pushing. If you're doing everything right and you're pushing hard and like you're, you know, you're giving it your all, then just keep going. It's going to happen. You're going to reach these plateaus. You can't just continue to linear, linearly gain strength for forever. Otherwise there'll be people out here squatting like 4,000 pounds, right? In your first year of exercise, you can double or triple the amount of weight that you lift pretty reasonably. You can't continue that rate of progression forever because there are limitations on the human body. So understand that the stronger you get, the slower you are going to improve. Your rate of improvement is going to slow down and that's okay. That's normal. So just understand that, be okay with it, embrace the grind, embrace the long game. This is a now until forever thing and you know, you'll probably bust through it. But again, this is where a coach really comes in hand. So feel free to reach out to me, feel free to ask people in your area, in your gym, wherever, and, uh, and, and see what's going on. If you can't really figure it out on your own. Part two of this was how to break through a plateau in weight loss. Now, again, this can be, this can have so many factors in my experience plateaus in weight loss they definitely happen so they're not like they're not a they're not like a what's the word i'm looking for they're not a myth it doesn't just accidentally sometimes happen and sometimes not it definitely happens but a lot of the time it happens because something has changed with what you're actually doing and the when and then what you're actually doing is no longer conducive to fat loss Here's what I mean. You've been on point with your food. You've been like eating X calories. Uh, you've been exercising a certain amount. You know, you've been doing all your things. And then, you know, you've had your success or whatever, and some things change and some things start to slip. And it's not like an all in one thing. But this is where that whole awareness piece that I speak to so often really comes in play is that if you actually, again, look at what you're doing and see, like, oh, yeah, I, I actually am walking a lot less than I was three weeks ago and that's why my weight has stalled or I've been sleeping a lot less or I've been doing this different or that more or whatever it is 
that's typically where I see actually a lot of the plateaus. So they're not true plateaus. They're just a, a change in behavior or an old habit has slipped back in or something like that has happened. And so we've got to get really specific as to understanding what it is that you're actually doing. And then we can see, okay, well, that's why things have plateaued. Sometimes you are doing everything right. And this may be more where this question has has come in, has come from, but you are doing everything right. The same way you make less quick progressions in the gym, as you lose more body fat, you will make less quick progressions. Let's make an extreme example just to paint this picture. If someone is weighs 400 pounds, they have a lot more body fat to lose than someone who weighs 200 pounds, right? That person who weighs 400 pounds could lose a lot more weight in the same amount of time than the person who weighs 200 pounds could be. And then this gets exponentially less, right? Uh, Someone who weighs 125 pounds doesn't really have that much body fat to lose. So losing a pound a week is is quite significant. But if you were 400 pounds and you were trying to lose one pound a week, that would be it's it's very easy to do that because the potential for change is so much greater. So sometimes plateaus are are again actually not really plateaus but it's just like our interpretation of it. Now, what I'm saying this is starting to sound like I'm just kind of dismissing the plateau and that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying now is that if the plateau has happened, really understand whether it's actually plateaued or if your behavior has changed or if things are just taking their sweet time because you've been making some progress. Now, if you've made a bunch of progress and things are taking their time, the thing that got you to lose the first 20 pounds, 30 pounds might not get you to lose the last 10 or 15 pounds. You might need to double down on your efforts. And so if you've really been doing everything good, now we go back through the through the the flow chart here, right? You analyze what you've been doing or you ha- you have you've been noticing that you're at a plateau. You reanalyze what you're doing and coach DY, I'm doing good. I'm on point with my food. My activity is the same. My sleep is good. I'm doing everything right. It's just the weight's not budging. At that point, then it means that we've got to kick things up a notch. The stimulus that you've been using is no longer enough to continue making the change that you want. Therefore, we've got to change the stimulus. Now, that might come in the form of dropping your calories a little bit. Basically, it's going to come in the form of dropping your calories a little bit or increasing your activity a little bit. We've got to shift that caloric. We've got to create a, a more of a caloric deficit in order to continue the weight loss process. So we've got to find a way to, again, decrease your total food intake or increase your activity level. That doesn't mean you have to start doing crazy things. It might mean dropping your calories by 200. It might mean increasing your steps by 2,000 a day, not tripling them, but just a little bit, just enough to get that deficit back and keep the ball rolling. So that's pretty much how it goes. It does it does suck. And this is also a time where I like to use what people refer to as diet breaks is when when you are experiencing a plateau and it's it's getting very frustrating because weight loss weight loss is frustrating. It's hard, it sucks, it's not easy and anyone who tells you otherwise is delusional or lying to you. And you're in this you're in this plateau. The things are not budging, you think you're doing everything right and you are doing everything right. It gets very frustrating. If you're in this plateau, I think that these are also great times to use diet breaks because it gets you gets your mind off of the diet you decide consciously that you are going to maintain your weight. 
Now, this is very important because the end goal of the diet is not is to the end goal of the diet is to be at maintenance. You're going to get down to a body composition and you're just going to want to basically maintain that more or less for the rest of your life. You're not going to want to be nobody wants to be dieting. You can't be losing weight forever. You eventually lose the weight and then and then just stay there. So practicing maintenance along the way is important. You're in this plateau. Great place to have a diet break. You practice maintenance for two, three weeks. You give your head a shake. You get rid of the the stress, the frustration, uh, the anxiety related to dieting and or not making progress as expected so that after this break, you're refreshed, you're ready to go, motivation is high, you hit the ground hard, you increase your deficit, you you increase your activity, whatever it is, you just but you get re-motivated, reinvigorated, and you hit the ground running, and then you kickstart that that fat loss process once again. So sometimes the best way to get through a plateau is to embrace the plateau, embrace maintenance, practice maintenance for two to four weeks, and then drop the hammer and keep going. So there's obviously a lot of individual nuance here. It's impossible for me to answer this question for you in your specific scenario, you know, given delivering it on the podcast again. But if you have more questions about what's going on in your specific scenario in your life, then again, feel free to reach out to me and uh, we'll have a chat about that. Whew. I'm going to switch up the light here. Why not? Let's see. It's going to work. Boom. You know, it's supposed to be white, but it's kind of greenish. Ah, whatever. Next question. <laughs> Does creatine help with cognitive function? It appears so. Uh, I'm not going to go through a whole uh, research review here, but uh, there, there, creatine is one of the most researched supplements out there. It is uh, safe and effective for basically any population. Some people have some sort some indigestion issues with it, but very few. Um, no, it doesn't make you bloated. No, it's not steroids. No, you don't have to cycle off of it. No, you don't have to do a loading phase. Five grams per day is more or less the effective dose for everyone. Um, timing of the day doesn't seem to matter all that much so long as it's relatively consistent. Yes, you should take creatine on days where you don't train. Uh, yes, it's fine to take creatine with coffee. Yes, you should ideally take it with food to aid with absorption and, excuse me, avoid indigestion. Um, what other random things? And, and anyways, the, fun- the the question was, does creatine help with cognitive function? It appears so in the literature. I can't say that personally. I've noticed it, but I don't think it's one of those things. It's not the limitless pill where you start taking it and all of a sudden you're just like, you know, computing all these numbers in a brainiac. So it's not like some crazy profound effect for sure, but does it help? Like, yeah, it probably, it probably does. It seems to in the literature and anecdotally, I can't say that it doesn't do anything bad. That's for sure. It definitely helps in the gym. I would say that I noticed that more than any cognitive benefits, but probably does help a little bit. I wouldn't take it just for the cognitive benefits of it. There's a whole lot more, but if it helps, then it helps. Um, so yeah, that's just another, another benefit of creatine. Uh, basically almost everyone should be taking creatine. Um, I think I rattled off most of the kind of Q and a about that, but if again, if you have more questions, let me know. Yes. Creatine does seem to help with cognitive function. All right, another big one. I threw that in a little short one in there between the big questions here. How to get stronger without getting bulky? Huge question. This question plagues many, many people. Now, the short kind of uh, 
the short kind of asshole answer is that you're not going to get bulky unless you are <laughs> trying. And I'm going to give a real answer, but unless you're trying to get bulky, you are not going to do that by accident. If you knew how much steroids some people were taking and still don't look bulky, you wouldn't be worried about getting bulky. However, that doesn't solve your internal conflicts with this. So let's let's define this. The bulky look, or what we determine to be bulky, and, and again, this question came from a female, and this is typically a question that females have. I've had this question from some guys, but, but mostly directed at women. The bulky look comes when you, it's not usually something that happens when you gain too much muscle, because the muscle actually looks looks smaller. So, but you do gain some muscle, and when you have muscle that you've gained, and you're still not very lean, and so there's a you know a decent layer of body fat on you, and you've gained some muscle, that's when that bulky look starts to come in. Think about, um, not to harp on the powerlifters, but think about a powerlifter. Powerlifters are typically not, absolutely not trying to be lean, and it's for their sport, but they look monstrous. If you stripped away all their fat, they'd probably look about the same size as, as some of the bodybuilders or, some, or, or you know, much smaller, obviously, but they look so bulky because they've got so much muscle on them, but they've also got a fair amount of body fat on them. So that bulky look, it actually comes typically from not being as lean as you'd like, not from having too much muscle. So that's an important just distinction to make. Now, the other side of this is is this. I had this happen to me actually, not to me, but to, to a client of mine this week where Someone said to him, he's been, he's been losing weight. He's been in a fat loss phase, been doing great. And someone said to him, Hey man, like you're doing great. you look like you're bulking up. And he said that to me. He's like, Oh, what a fucking dick. I can't, I can't believe you said that. And I was like, well, listen, hold on a second. First of all, he didn't mean it in a, in a negative way. And again, put that in context. Like he's trying to, he's trying to shrink down. He's trying to lose weight. And someone said, he's looking like he's bulking up. What that person meant is not that he looks bigger. Sometimes people who are not like gym people, they use words that describe things, but it's not the correct word. And this is why I'm kind of big on like, you know, people who, when you, when you post stuff, like use good word choice and all this stuff. But if someone who's like not a gym person says like, you look like you're bulking up, what they actually probably mean is that you look like you've leaned out when they start to be able to see some muscle definition on your body. They say the the word that comes out is you look like you're bulking up, meaning that they can tell that you've been going to the gym. Not that you look like some big monster of a, of a human. It just means that you, you look like you've been going to the gym. Not that you look huge. They're not even saying it in that way. And it's just a thought. It doesn't cross their mind. They're complimenting you. It's coming from a, from a nice place. It's not that they're saying that you look huge. or Even if you were looking huge, it wouldn't be the same thing. So when people say things like that to you, understand what they're seeing and what's actually happening. If you know that you've lost 20 pounds and you're much leaner and someone's like, Hey man, you look, you look like you've been bulking up. You know that you don't look bigger. It may appear that that may be the word that comes out of their mouth, but that's not what they actually mean. So now that we've solved all that and, and kind of established what this bulky thing actually is, here's how to get stronger without getting bulky. The actual thing is get leaner get leaner. That's going to avoid that bulky look that again comes from the power lifter kind of style of, of physique of having lots of 
muscle mass, but also a fair amount of fat mass. So get leaner and you won't have that bulky bulging kind of look. Now, as far as your training, you're going to train in a way that is actually lifting heavier weights and not doing a ton of volume and not doing a ton of isometric work. What I mean by that is you're not doing a lot of like bicep curls or single joint movements or like high rep stuff that's going to give you that big pump that's going to be more conducive to hypertrophy as opposed to like doing a set of, you know, three to five reps on squats. That's going to be a lot less conducive to hypertrophy and just training a little bit shy of failure is going to keep you off of that actual muscle building stimulus, let's say. Now, that's probably not what you want, though, because you probably do want to be building some muscle. And so that's why I repeat again that that bulky look comes from having muscle mass times fat mass. So the real way to not get bulky is to actually just, or to not get that bulky quote-unquote look is to is to lean down. Your training, though, if you're, if you're trying to avoid that, again, it's just going to be training for strength, which means typically big movements and lower rep ranges, not a whole lot of pump work where you're trying to do like a high rep set of, you know, 15, 25, 30 bicep curls where you're just getting as much blood into the muscle and that's really going to like kind of pump you up even more. That's not what you want if you're trying to avoid hypertrophy, which again, you're probably not trying to avoid hypertrophy. So Heavy weights, low reps, that's what your training is going to be like. But in reality, you just got to get leaner and stay leaner as you continue to train. That's going to be the thing that is going to help you to be able to get stronger without getting bulky. And again, it's it's been said many, many times, but it is worth saying that it is almost impossible, not almost, it is impossible to get too big by accident. I repeat, if you knew how much, how much steroids some people were taking and how many things in their life were quote unquote optimized for them to only be as big as they are, you would be shocked that they're not way bigger than they are. So it doesn't happen by accident. Getting very big and bulky is a very, very difficult process that takes a very long time and a lot of input and a lot of effort. And it's not going to happen by accident. So make sure you stay lean. Train with heavier weights in lower rep ranges. Keep up with your cardio for health and for everything else. Keep up with your cardio and uh, and stay lean. And, and also, don't stress. If people call you bulky, they're not saying that you actually look bigger. They're most likely saying that you're actually looking leaner. It's just that their word choice is incorrect because they don't have the correct vocabulary within the context of the gym and fitness and body shapes and all that stuff to correctly articulate what they're actually seeing and what they're what they're actually feeling so if someone calls you bulky take it as a compliment send it to your coach laugh about it together and then uh, get back in the gym and on with the day good one and again always individual context that right so uh, difficult difficult thing to navigate though for sure so not not a silly question to ask is there any science to taking a week off training Yes, there is. Next question. <laughs> is there any signs they can week off training? So yeah, this is what we call a deload week. A deload week is a fancy term for decreasing the intensity of your workouts. And this could be to deal with an injury, to help with recovery, if recovery overall has been... Um, 
worse than it should be. You're feeling beat up. You're feeling really tired. You're having a a bad week at work. Some life event is keeping you out of the gym or distracting you from being able to recover. This is also a great week to a great way rather to break through the plateaus as we talked about earlier, where you take a deload week to let your nervous system recover. You just bump up that recovery and then you hit it hard again, right? Same as like the diet thing where you take a diet break. The deload week is like a you take a deload, you let yourself recover, you let your you let your nervous system recover, you let your muscles recover, you're feeling good, you're feeling fresh, motivation is high, you get back in the gym that following Monday and you just like absolutely crush a workout and 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 that really typically works. Now, scheduling deload weeks is something that I'm not a fan of unless you are extremely regimented and or a professional or competitive athlete of some sort because there are going to be things in your life that come up, a vacation, uh, an emergency, a work event, like stuff is just going to happen that will dictate when you take deload weeks. Unless you're an athlete where like this, your training and your sport is is the thing that you are scheduling everything else in your life around, then you should schedule in those deload weeks and your whole program should be like periodized and like whatever, all that stuff. But like, that's not, you're probably not listening to this if, if, <laughs> if you are, but whatever, if you are, then, you know, that's a different conversation. Um, stuff is going to happen in your life. that dictates that, yep, you got to take a week off. You got a little nick in your ankle. You got a little, you know, you're taking a vacation. You got a thing coming up at work. There's, it's your birthday, whatever it is. So use those natural kind of like life events to dictate when your deload weeks are going to come. But the science of it essentially is that you're going to allow your body to fully recover, especially if you've been going hard for a while, um, and you're going to keep motivation high. You're going to allow, again, more recovery so that you can get back in the gym and then get better results again. You're like re. You can almost think of it as like you're resetting your receptors to the stimulus that you are providing. Think of it as like. Um, almost like a like an addiction of some sort this is a bad this is a bad example not an addiction but you can think of it as like a you know you've been i guess okay let's use coffee you drink coffee and you you know the, the same amount of coffee has like the same effect on you and then you take a week off coffee and so you're not used to like feeding that receptor anymore and then when you have another coffee a week later it's going to like hit you a lot harder so it's kind of the same type of principle like for conversation purposes it's the same sort of thing as that so yes taking a week off training is not a horrible thing uh, it's going to happen i wouldn't do it prematurely let it happen with the natural seasons of life but you're not going to lose all your progress you're not going to go backwards you're not going to like nothing's going to happen by taking a week off training and if you really feel like you need it then you need it just don't convince yourself that you need it earlier than you do because sometimes we convince ourselves that uh, like ah, I don't need to go to the gym this week I need a deload week and sometimes it's just laziness so be very careful with the mind games that you play with yourself but yes taking a deload week is totally totally a uh, a legit thing I'm gonna switch the lights back here and then we'll just keep going I'm not not feeling this but maybe you guys like it so if you do let me know okay where are we at almost forty minutes not too bad actually how fast should I be losing weight. Another excellent question. So the typical recommendation, I think I touched on this a little earlier. The typical recommendation is roughly one pound per week. Now, the reason that like you have to understand how how things come about and a lot of it is marketing and marketability. One pound per week equates to a calorie deficit per day of about 500 calories. 
one pound is roughly equated to 3,500 calories, which in the divided by seven, seven days in the week is 500 calories per day equals one pound per week. It's just like the math of it just works out very nicely. So, so there's that. Now, when we speak in generalizations, almost no one fits that exact model. A person who's 125 pounds is going to have a very different rate and method of fat loss than a person who is 400 pounds because their bodies are very, very different. And so to say that both of those people should be, should be quote unquote, losing one pound per week is, is incorrect for the 125 pound person. It might be too slow or, or, or sorry, way too fast. And for the 400 pound person, it might just be way too slow. So and again, I don't know, this is dependent on, on you and your individual situation. So understand that that generalization of this one pound per week came from that the very simple math of it. Now, I think it's actually a great thing because most people fall within that average realm. So you're going to be somewhere in from, you know, 0.7 to 1.4 pounds per week, something like that. But doesn't actually matter. What matters is that in my opinion, you want to be losing fat as quickly as you can reasonably do it safely. Safely. That doesn't mean starve yourself and lose as much weight as possible. That is very dumb and not a good way to lose weight. You're just going to lose more muscle and do more damage than you are going to do good. But you don't want to be losing weight so slow that it's taking forever to come off, especially if you're heavier. Again, our person who's 400 pounds, if you're losing one pound per week, that is amazing. You lose 52 pounds in a year. That is awesome. But that person has a significant reason to lose a significant amount of weight in a very short period of time. So for, for, purely for health purposes, forget about aesthetics, but just purely for health purposes. So you should be aiming to lose in and around that one pound per week. Now, this also might not mean that you lose actually one pound per week. We know that the scale fluctuates based on a lot of different factors. So this week, you might actually lose zero pounds, but you're sticking to the plan. You're doing all the right things. You're doing everything good. And next week, the scale fluctuates down and you lose two pounds. Now, two divided by one, I'm no mathematician, but that is an average of one pound per week. So you're doing great. So this is why we also got to zoom out and think about what does the bigger picture look like? We get, it's very easy to get caught up on looking at the scale every day. And it's like, okay, well, if I got to lose one pound per day, that means, or one pound per week, then that means I got to lose this many pounds per day. And like, if it didn't go down this much, then I got to like, I got to run on the treadmill a little bit more today because I got to get, I got to catch up for yesterday. Like, no, that's not how it works. You got to zoom out, look at the bigger picture and understand how averages work. Again, two pounds next week and zero pounds this week is an average of one pound per week, right? 10 pounds over 10 weeks is one pound per week, not one pound every single week. It's an average of one pound per week ish. Now, if you want to be a little bit more extreme than that, you can be, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. So long as you're able to do it and you're able to maintain it until you're at your goal weight. And then you have a plan for after, which is not something that I'm going to talk about because I've talked about that many times before, but you've got to have a diet after the diet. Fat loss is not supposed to be sustainable in the sense that you don't want to be losing fat for forever. You do your diet, you get in, get out, and then you're on your maintenance. And that's where you got to live. You got to live at maintenance. You're not living on your fat loss diet. That is completely stupid. So has to be sustainable for the time that you're going to be doing it and then doesn't necessarily have to be sustainable beyond that. The principles and the habits and the, and the health habits and the relationship with food, all that needs to be sustainable, yes, but not the actual thing that you're doing because you're not going to be living at a deficit for forever. I said I wasn't going to get into it and I got into it, but I'll stop there. But anyways, how fast should you be losing weight? 
roughly a pound a week, a little bit more if you're bigger, a little bit less if you're smaller, um, but somewhere in and around that is a very good goal. And don't get caught up on people who are moving at a different pace than you. You see someone online who's losing two, three, four pounds a week. Don't compare yourself to them. If you're losing one pound a week, you're doing amazing. That 500 calorie deficit per day seems to be for most people a pretty attainable deficit that's not too aggressive, not too disruptive to your life and your lifestyle and your habits and all that stuff. More than that starts to get a little bit more demand for discipline and and habit change and lifestyle change for the time being anyways. But uh, 500 is usually like, it's a pretty manageable deficit for most people. Two more today. I want to go on a bulk and prioritize arms as I feel like they're most lacking in my upper body. How should I approach this? Um, just train your arms more often. That's that's pretty much that's pretty much it. I wouldn't do that at the expense of other things. Like, don't not train your legs and and replace that with an arm day. Like, train your legs and and. Also, just do more isolation exercises for your arms. Now, because the arms are smaller muscles, you can also do it more frequently. And so maybe this is more what the question was getting at. Like, do your legs, do your your leg day, your quads, however your split is is done. And then just like do a set of bicep curls, tricep extensions, whatever, at the end of that workout. And then on your upper body day, you also, you're doing arms on every upper body day, but any and every upper, upper body exercise rather. And then at the end of that workout, then you then you hit your arms. And maybe you might have a dedicated arm day, depending on your split and how many times per week you're working out. But I've seen that arms actually thrive more than other muscles, maybe similar to calves, but more than like the bigger muscles and with more frequency, like three, even four times per week of hitting your arms directly. And you can push them pretty hard because recovery seems to be pretty quick for for most people. Of course, again, individually dependent, but recovery of them seems to be pretty quick. So you can hit your arms pretty good for three or four times per week. And they don't require a whole lot of exercises. Like if you hit it pretty hard and you go like close to or at failure and and it's pretty safe to do so with like most arm exercises, be careful of tearing your bicep and you know, that crazy stuff, but like you're not going to drop a weight on your head kind of thing. Um, you can, uh, you really only need like two exercises maybe per per thing. And because it's not, they're not huge muscles, you actually don't need that much. Like you don't need as much systemic rest time between them. Like if you do a set of squats, max squats, like you're going to need a few minutes to get your wits about you and feel like a human again. But you do like a max set of bicep curls, like, you know, 30 seconds, 60 seconds go by, like you're good. You can just, you can go hit your triceps right away. It's probably fine. So yeah, I think the key to this is just volume and, whatever it's not a conversation worth having but like the the hypertrophy uh fucking wizards volume is not the key to size like all right fine but like just train them more frequently three four times a week throw it at the end of the leg day um and you can even throw it at the beginning of your upper body day i don't advise this because i don't think it's actually useful for most people unless you really need to specialize in it but you can like hit a set of biceps, triceps at the beginning of your upper body day, do the rest of your upper body work, and then at the end, hit another biceps and triceps, and then you'd be pretty toasted by then, but you get a lot of, you get a lot of, um, it's almost like a priming for the other exercise that you want. You, typically, you wouldn't want like your rows to be like bicep dependent, but like you can, you can 
alter that by doing biceps at the beginning of your workout and just like focusing on pulling from your bicep rather than your back. But again, I wouldn't advise that unless you're like really specialized as to like what you're doing. Cause then you're going to end up with like huge arms and a small back and that doesn't look good. I promise you it doesn't look good. Um, so yeah, more volume or more frequency rather is the, is the, is the big key to uh, training arms. Last question for today. Very busy at work and I can only train on the weekends. Will I still be able to maintain muscle with one upper and one lower body workout per week? Yes, you will. So the it's actually very easy, relatively, to maintain muscle. It's much harder to build muscle, but the amount of input as far as frequency and stimulus doesn't have to be that high to maintain muscle and one workout per week could do it. Now you've got to like, especially the more muscle that you have, it, this obviously becomes harder, but you got to, you got to train hard. You got to push it hard. It can't just be like a, a little wussy workout. Like it's got to be a serious workout. You got to push hard, use big movements. You go close to failure, train, train hard, train like a nine out of 10 and uh nine out of 10 exertion RPE. And but you, but you should be fine. Now, the situation that, that this person is asking about is one upper and one lower body. I wouldn't advise that. I would actually advise two full body workouts, except for this person, because she's saying that she can only train on the weekends. Then she like one Saturday and one Sunday, if those are the only days, then yes, in that case, I would go one upper and one lower that way you just hit it hard in the upper, hit it hard in the lower, and then you're done. Cause you can't, can't really hit it hard two days in a row and then have like five days between you'd be so sore and beat up. It wouldn't be conducive to that. So if you're in a situation like this, where you've built up a significant amount of muscle or, you know, life is just happening. And like the only time you get to train is on the weekend, Saturday, Sunday, or, or, you know, whatever you've only got two days or one day to train. Like, yes, you can be confident that you are not going to all of a sudden lose significant muscle. You won't main, you won't be, you likely won't be building muscle unless you're really a beginner. You likely won't be building muscle, but you could certainly maintain your muscle. And if you don't have to do them on consecutive days, I would do a full body workout on each of those days and still take it pretty hard. Make sure you're hitting everything. Make sure you're hitting each of the muscle groups in each workout. If you're doing the full body workouts and hit it pretty hard. But if you have to go on consecutive days, like the Saturday, Sunday for scheduling purposes, then I would do upper body separate from the lower body. Um, and I probably, uh, again, depends on you. It doesn't really matter, but like I would probably go lower body on the Saturday, upper body on the, on the Sunday, if just because you'd be more, more recovered and then doing the upper body while your legs are sore will help recover that just because the increased blood flow. So you're not walking like a, like a penguin until Wednesday. So that would be my advice for that. But yes, you can maintain muscle much easier than you can build muscle. And it doesn't take all that much stimulus, which is another thing to know. That's just good. You know, referring back to like the deload week, like it, it one week is really not going to do anything. Nothing's going to change at all, but you can be confident that as the seasons of life come, as I've always talked about that, as long as you're doing a little bit, you're not going to regress that much. It takes a lot longer than you think if you've been training for like longer than a year. So you can be confident that with a little bit of effort, a little bit of input, you'll still be able to maintain what you've built, but you've got to like, you got to hit it when you're there. You can't just go in once a week and do like a half-assed workout and expect to maintain. Like there will be some rate of loss. So you've got to, you got to push when you're there, but you should be confident knowing that you can maintain on only one or two workouts per week. Whew. That was a good one. Flew by. 
less than an hour. Hey, look at me. So yeah, I think that's it for today. Um, thank you very much for your questions. Again, always apply the context of your own life to all of these questions. I do my best to understand who the person is that is that is asking the question and answer it according to what I know about them or what I think that I know about them. Um, and that person is probably not you listening to this. So it's very it's, it's impossible for me to answer it for you specifically without having a full one-on-one conversation with you. So if there's something that I said that you think that is like, hey, well, that doesn't apply to me, like, well, then yes, you're right. It doesn't exactly apply to you. So so one, don't get mad at me. But two, um, ask me the question to, to reframe or to uh, clarify something that is in the context of your life and applicable to you individually. You reach out to me on Instagram, reach out to me on Twitter at Daniel Yours, Instagram better. Um, and, and send me a message or email me through through my website, danielyours.com. And if you want more and you want more of the individual approach, then that's where online coaching comes in. So danielyours.com slash coaching, uh, making a big push on online coaching for the coming months leading into summer and, and onwards. So send me a message if you're ready for a little bit more, you want a little bit more input, you want to get it going, you want to build that body, then let's go together. Let me know what you think about these lights too. We're going to the blue. Let's do this one more time. Blue. This is the blue if you're looking at it, or this is the white. It doesn't look white though, but I don't know. I don't know which one I'm liking better, but hopefully we'll get enough input and make a decision and then I can just be fucking done with this because I, we got to get a studio. I just, I got to be, stop worrying about this shit and, and just worry about talking. And I spent like four hours the other day, like trying to set this up with the lights and all this, whatever stuff. I got to stop doing that. I juice do more that's the that's the podcaster version of like worrying about minor shit in the gym that doesn't actually matter is me like worrying about whether the blue light or the white light or whatever fucking ah, whatever <laughs> all right that's enough I appreciate you. Send this episode to a friend. Uh, send me questions for the next uh, podcast, for the next Q&A podcast. I'll do it in like a few months, sometime in the summer. Um, send me questions anytime. I'll get back to you as soon as I can and we'll get more uh, in-depth on the podcast. Share this episode, rating and review on iTunes. Five-star rating really helps the show grow, helps me get that studio so I can stop worrying about this bullshit and just talk and have fun. And um, that's it. I appreciate you. Follow on Instagram as well. Go outside. Be a good person. We'll see you soon.